It's the Pete Callender Show. With more than 20 years as a reporter and radio host in North Carolina, Pete Callender is helping solve the world's problems one podcast at a time. Because he's a giver. And now, here's Pete. Welcome to the show. Hope you're doing well. Thanks so much for listening. I appreciate it. Remember, subscribe to the podcast. Just click the subscribe button, and then uh, the show comes every single day right to your smartphone or tablet. Thank you to patrons like Ruth and Barbara, Jonathan, Theo, Janet, Lori, Gregory, James, Matt, Lisa, Jolene, Becky. They all became patrons to support the program, uh, and I couldn't do it without you guys. Thanks so much. They get exclusive content, by the way, um, and so you can as well become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com and click on the link uh, that's at the top of the page there. Today's show also presented by... Mattress Man, mattressmanstores.com is the website, and uh, they have their July 4th sale going on right now. You can get a free box spring uh, with the purchase of a mattress from the Biltmore Collection, inspired by our very own local landmark. Mattress Man is an exclusive retailer of the Biltmore Collection. It's got luxurious design and a blend of old world craftsmanship and new world exclusive technology. It's made by Restonic, and uh, that means it's got the five support zones for proper spinal alignment and you get optimal balance of pressure point relief and support so you get a restorative healthier sleep okay and uh synchrony finance offering zero down zero interest for up to 72 months for qualified applicants they have lots of flexible financing options available go to mattressmanstores.com click the financing link at the top and you can actually get pre-approved before you even walk into the store five-star local delivery service nationwide shipping at a 120-day comfort guarantee experience the difference at mattress man four stores in Asheville, hendersonville and arden locally owned and operated mattressmanstores.com buy local and sleep better. There was an event planned for June 19th at Latta Plantation in Mecklenburg, Historic Latta Plantation, and it was supposed to be a one-night event. And the description that was posted uh, on the internet said that you will hear stories from the Massa himself, who is now living in the woods. Federal troops, the Yankees, have him on the run and his former bondsmen have occupied his home and are now living high on the hog. Hear how they feel about being freedmen. The overseer is now out of a job. What will he do now that he has no one to oversee from can see to can't see? White refugees have been displaced and have a story to tell as well. Confederate soldiers who will be heading home express their feelings about the downfall of the Confederacy. That was the description, and it's been described by the Charlotte Observer as a racist Juneteenth event. So we wanted to, uh, the event did not happen. It got canceled because of the uproar over this description. So I've been very interested to know what exactly was going to be presented. So I figured who best to ask than the person who created this event, than uh, Ian Campbell, who was the site manager for the Historic Ladder Plantation. Welcome to the show. Ian, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you, Pete? I am doing well. So uh, thanks for making the time to do this interview. I appreciate it. And um, so first off, the event did not happen. Um, The event, though, was written by you. And I think you said you had some help from some other people, maybe one or two others. But explain sort of the process that went into creating the program. And then we'll kind of get into the different characters, the portrayers and what they were going to be doing. Okay, well, the process, basically, I developed it, you know, because of Juneteenth, and it was supposed to portray the uh, experiences of those freedmen 
when Union troops basically came throughout the South liberating Southern plantations. So you, so th- this was the idea for the Juneteenth event. Did you do other Juneteenth events before in the past? No, we hadn't. And this was supposed to be, for the most part, uh, a groundbreaking event because in the past, um, and all the years that have been there on and off since 2004, Ladder Plantation had never done a Juneteenth event. So this is what I wanted to do coming in as the new site manager to focus more on the lives of enslaved people as well as freedmen. So why did you think that was, uh, why that's important, that focus? Uh, It was important for the most part because, one, I had become the first black man to run that uh, plantation in 221 years. Mm. Previously, of course, it was owned by the Ladders as well as the Samples, who were uh, white plantation owners, and the site was also run by white executive directors, both male and female. So for me, it was the perfect opportunity. Here it is, you have this site that is no longer run by, if I can use the word, white folks. Mm -hmm. You can. (laughs) And myself, as being a black man, it was was basically uh, a way of saying, hey, you know, a black man is in charge of this plantation now, and I was going to bring to the forefront more events that had to do with, again, enslaved people as well as free people of color. So when you set about making the program, I guess, first off, the name of the program was called Kingdom Coming, which people in their rush to uh, be outraged, I suspect, did not look up what that was a reference to, uh, nor did they bother kind of going in depth on on what that what the actual material was. It was a song, right? And so how did you come up with the title and this connection? Uh, basically, Kingdom Coming, it's um, also known as the Year of Jubilo, and as you mentioned previously, it was composed and written by Henry C. Work in 1862. So basically, he is talking from the perspective or the point of view of slaves in Confederate territory who basically celebrate their impeding freedom after the master flees the approach of Union military forces. So then they basically speculate on their future fate of the owner, uh, who pretends to be a runaway slave. And then, of course, the overseer, him, they lock him in the cellar and make references again to the plantation owner uh, running away when he sees the Lincoln gunboats coming down the river. Yeah. Right. So the description... It sounds like when, and I guess I should ask this first, you wrote this description that appeared online? Yes, I did. Right, So, and it looks like that's very, it's almost, uh, I mean, it follows along with Kingdom Coming, the song, right? I mean, that was the intent. Exactly, exactly. So the, right, and so the, the, the reference to the Massa, that's what they call them in the song, the uh, former bondsman. Oh, and I guess this seemed to be something that people got particularly upset with, 
uh, bondsmen and freedmen. You use these terms, and I assume it's intentional rather than to use the word slaves or something. Was it, was that intentional? Why do you use those words? And do you understand why people are mad about that? Uh, yes, I can understand why they're mad, but unfortunately it's history and it's the terms that were used. Hmm. And we can get into semantics, I mean, in the Bible, as well as Webster's Dictionary, it mentions bondsmen as slaves, and then there are also several other definitions of it as well. So I was using it in the term of the, for the most part, the 19th century way that it was used. So again, people, you know, they pick and choose how they want to use the word, and the same thing with people that use the word African-Americans. And then they'll turn right back around and they'll use the word black. And then in the next sentence, it's African-American. Uh, so, and in the same, I've read, uh, written and also have read several books in where authors, um, they use the word slave in one sentence, and then they turn around and they used enslaved in another sentence. So there's no consistency. Mm-hmm for the most part, with the way that people use words. So is it possible that the people of today who are ignorant of these things, that they're right because they're ignorant? No, I'm kidding. But um, like this, this has been, I yes, think... Yes, because they are ignorant. <laughs> right. This is part of the problem, which I thought was interesting when you put out your statement after all of this blew up and you wrote this uh, this lengthy statement that I, uh, I, I saw very few media outlets uh, actually publish in full. But um, the you started off talking about the veil of ignorance, and it seems like that really is the key component to this entire story. For folks who don't know, the event got canceled, but now also the entire Lada plantation is shut down, and the contract is over, I guess, with the company or, or the organization that has been managing it, and I assume that that's who employs you, and you're looking at the end of the month like you're out of a job now over all this. Is that accurate? Yes, it is, for the most part. So it's basically a lot of place incorporated. And uh, because of all the, the ignorance of the politicians, as well as some of the citizens of Charlotte, we were supposed to be kicked off Massa's plantation on June 30th. But the county has extended that to July 14th. So there was an extension given uh, to us to move uh, all of our belongings that belong to historic Lada Plantation off of the site. Yeah. Uh, right, because it's a it's a living history museum, and if people are not familiar with what that looks like, it's basically right like a working farm. People are out there; uh, they play roles. They, they you, you call them portrayers or something, and uh, people adopt uh, the persona. Right, it's like actors, and they they talk about what, it, what what their life is like in that setting in this time period. Exactly. So they are basically interpreters, and when I was basically writing. The event, I looked at some other sources for people that do interpretations at living history sites. And one type of interpretation is basically American Reconstruction interpretation. And it focuses on American Reconstruction when the country severed the institution of slavery. Uh, so uh, that's the type of interpretation that we were going to be doing. We were also going to be doing what's called dramatic interpretation, 
and it's very basically very much like a plate. Um, and it basically allows the visitor the visitors to witness a scene of the past through a window of time. Hmm. More with Ian Campbell in a minute. First, General Equipment Rental has everything that you need if you are looking to do a major big project or if you're looking to do just, you know, some work around the house. Whatever the case is, they've got the tools that you need, buying or renting. Okay, so you can rent some of the really big stuff, you know, uh, generators, tillers, uh, pressure washers, earth movers, scaffolding, stuff like that. Uh, or if you're looking for some outdoor power equipment, right, to do battle with the yard, uh, they've got Honda and Husqvarna uh, products. They're, they are your official licensed Husqvarna and Honda outdoor power equipment sales and service provider. So that means that they they not only know all of the deals that are available from these manufacturers, but they also know, you know, changes that occur in different series and brands year to year, model to model. Uh, they've got chainsaws and trimmers and hedge clippers and automowers. That's pretty cool. The Husqvarna automower. It's like a little Batmobile and it like drives around your yard and cuts the grass all the time. It's, it's uh, controllable on your phone. Uh, it's got a GPS locator. So if anybody steals it, it shuts itself down and then uh, sends out a, you know, like a homing device so you can catch them. <laughs> So uh, it's really cool technology. Go check it out at generalrents.com. They're located in Weaverville at the intersection of Merriman Avenue and Reams Creek Road. Great people. It's family owned and operated for three generations and get 10% off your first rental. Go to generalrents.com. General Equipment Rental. Think outside your toolbox. My guest is Ian Campbell, the site manager for the historic Latta Plantation. Um, They were scheduled to do an event on Juneteenth called Kingdom Coming. Uh, The description of it posted up online drew outrage whipped up by local media uh, on social media, on Twitter and Facebook, and it led to the cancellation of the event before it was ever presented, and uh, it led to now the... uh, the severing of the contract of uh, the relationship, I should say, with uh, the organization that does uh, the management and the, the, the living history uh, portrayals at the Latta Plantation. And Ian Campbell is the site manager. You came up with this program. And um, I, so I will throw this out there and let me see what you think of this. I think that people were not aware that you are black when they started attacking this event. I think it was very easy for them to read this description, and they thought, this sounds like it's written by a white guy celebrating or glorifying, I saw the words used all the time, uh, glorifying uh, the Confederacy, the South, the lost cause, all of that. And then when they found out (laughs) that you're black, they were kind of caught in a bind because they can't make the accusation that it's racist. Do you? So how far off do you think I am on that? You are correct. They assumed that I was a white man. (laughs) I started getting emails and phone calls from several people, and I'm not going to make an assumption, especially when it comes to talking to a person over the phone, Mm -hmm. judging if they're black, white, or what have you. But I received several phone calls, mainly from women, and one young lady, she called me a racist. She called me a white supremacist. (laughs) And at that point in time, I didn't disclose that I was a uh, an American of African descent, Miss Otley. <laughs> so uh, I didn't disclose any of that information. I just let them go rant and rave. And uh, again, it was emails. Um, basically, they were calling, calling me basically everything but a child of God. Mm-hmm. 
And that was, the, I think, the issue. And then I also received an email from a person that stated that I bet that there were no black folks involved in this or, or any other black people for the most part. So I think that was the that was the kicker. They assumed that a white man wrote this. And so, but you also had help from other reenactors, right, or other people, or other uh, I don't know, playwrights, but right, you had help constructing this. And I'm assuming that the people, because for folks who aren't aware, and and we've talked before, and so I wasn't aware, so I'll I'll say this that uh, that a lot of the people who volunteer to do these types of uh, events these these actors um you know they come with their own outfits and stuff right they have their and then they have their own sort of character development they get into a character they develop a history and so you know this because you work with these people on the plantation throughout the year right yes we have a very good core of volunteers that come out and they help they have helped us helped us throughout the years for events we also have reenactors as well that do uh, things from uh, American, uh, the American Civil War as well as the American Revolution. And they have their own clothing. They have their own uh, equipment and everything. And a lot of them are familiar with the time period. Mm-hmm. So that's why I really didn't have to uh, write a script per se. What I basically did was I gave um, everyone the choice to um, choose what part they wanted to play in this particular event. And that consisted of everyone from the uh, interpreters that were going to be inside the house portraying the freedmen, the Confederate soldiers, the overseer, as well as the plantation owner. And they were given a background about what the event was going to be about. And then once, for the most part, everyone kind of decided on where they wanted to be, then they would work on their character. So is one of the limitations that nobody wants to play the racist overseer? (laughs) I mean, do you have a lot of people clamoring to be cast in that role? Uh, No, (laughs) we didn't. And now this is the funny part. So I actually directed one of my employees. I told him, you're going to be the overseer. <laughs> so um, I put him I put him in a precarious position. Yeah. Uh, but because he has a master's in public history and he's knowledgeable about a lot of things, I, I, I had confidence in him that he could basically do a good job with doing that interpretation right and so was he going to be was the storyline going to be you know tied to the song that he was going to get locked down in a cellar and they would throw the key down a well well not for the most part because what he was going to basically he was going to be behind the yeoman's cabin telling visitors you know basically what his outlook is now what will he do now that he's out of a job mm-hmm. because of the, the space that we have on the site. When I created it, I tried to have everything uh, outside because people would be in groups of 20 to 25. So uh, with uh, the Wuhan and everything, mm-hmm. I didn't want to <laughs> throw everyone inside of these small buildings that we have. 
See, now you just you're going to get in trouble for that for calling it the Wuhan virus. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We are all very sensitive to these things now. Um, so the and so this was part of so you write about that in the description here that, you know, what he's going to do now that he's out of a job. And this is actually part of the historical record, too, is that overseers were not usually not actually the at all the plantation owners these were the people that got hired in right to manage the uh the slaves and the farm and you know make all these purchases and and oversee the running of the farm and a lot of times these people were not educated they were not particularly good farmers themselves right a lot of them were just poor white people who were never accepted into the high society of the white plantation owners they were looked down upon by that element of society and it created this really I mean, you're talking about like like the psychological twisting of a relationship between the overseer, white guy, and the slaves, black people, who he's in charge of controlling, but he's the but they're the only ones that he gets to hang out with all day. And like, how do you not become friends with people that are you know working with you all the time like that? I, it just it's a whole different kind of world, and that, like I would have appreciated. Like the exploration of those types of relationships. How how is it that you are cast out of the high white society, but you are told to li- and you're told to you know live with these other people? And how do you not become friendly with them while also then having to make sure that they do the things that the plantation owner demands of them? Exactly. And on the another side of it, with those people that were enslaved working in the big house. Mm-hmm as the butlers and the nannies, over time, because of human nature, you're going to develop a relationship with that person. Yeah. It, it's unavoidable. It is unavoidable. Well, yeah, there are, are award-winning movies about that very topic. <laughs> so they didn't get canceled, although maybe nowadays they would. Um, yeah, I mean, there's all sorts well, of psychological well, abuse and uh, dilemmas that occur. And that's another thing you touched on with movies. Why is it here it is, I try to create an actual portrayal of this period in history when you have movies that are made about slavery where black folks are being whipped, they're being abused sexually as well as psychologically, they're being chased by hounds, and these movies for the most part, are directed by white folks. (laughs) Where's the outrage at that? And then you have black comedians who do skits about slavery. Where's the outrage there? Nothing. Especially from the comedians. I mean, people sit, and I will admit, it's funny. I've (laughs) watched comedians do these. um, uh, Key and Peele. And it's hilarious. It's hilarious. But for the most part, Where's the outrage there? Well, all right. So now you you're hitting on a subject here that I find fascinating, which is a society's ability to laugh at itself. And once a society loses that ability, it is then unable to examine critically things that uh, are occurring and have occurred because humor is often a way to uh, to sort of um, uh, lessen the risks of examining difficult and abusive periods of a society's history. If you can do it with laughter, it helps people realize, oh, that was terrible. We shouldn't do that again, obviously. But it's done in a way that's not aggressive and vengeful. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Yeah, it does. 
More with Ian in a minute. First, this is no joke, a bad roof. If your roof is in need of repair, then uh, head on over to BalkanRoofing.com, or better yet, give them a call, 628-0390. That's 828-628-0390, BalkanRoofing.com, and uh, they will help you protect the biggest investment you'll ever make, usually. It's your house, and uh, the roof protects everything in it, as well as the people, and uh, Balkan understands that, you know, it's intimidating. It's like, uh, oh my gosh, a new roof. And I mean, look, you can't exactly bring people over to the house and be like, oh, hey, check out the roof we just paid for. You know, people are like, oh, okay. Versus like a countertop, you know? Oh, wow. Look at you got countertops, right? Meanwhile, the countertops are protected by the roof and people ignore the roof. Uh, It's leaking. It's got structural damage. It's undermining the integrity of the entire house. Um, And look, people... Uh, show up at your door and they're like, hey, I can fix your roof. Hey, I'm doing roofing in the neighborhood. And uh, like their only qualification is that they've got a ladder in the pickup truck. Uh, And you can use them. That's true. You can use them and you can get a really, really cheap repair. And then you'll have to call Balkan anyway and have them come out and fix it. So uh, give them a call now. They'll do the roof right. Uh, These are high quality professionals and uh, all of their work is guaranteed. Give them a call at 628-0390. That's 628-0390, BalkanRoofing.com. My guest is Ian Campbell, the site manager at the Latta Plantation in Mecklenburg County. Um, This event was criticized as coming off as white-centered slavery cosplay by a guy named Ryan Pitkin at the Queen City Nerve, and he apparently whipped up a lot of um, opposition to this event based off of only the description. Um, I believe he is uh, he is left of center politically. Uh, he says he called this a cringe fest centered on reminding folks that white people suffered too. Was that the intention or do you think that was even going to occur uh, with your event? No, it wasn't. And as I've said to many people, the focal point was going to be the house. That's where everything happened on the plantation. And now that you have these freedmen, they've literally taken over the house. It's theirs now. And the white folks are on the run. And you can't get past that. The plantation owner, Confederate soldiers, the overseer, all of their stories are intertwined. So I wanted to create a broad view of what happened on these plantations and not leave anyone out. So uh, for uh, the mayor, Lee Jones, Kevin Metcalf, that was diversity. It was diversity. And if anything, if if there would have been Asians involved uh, during this particular time period or Latinos, they would have been included as well. So your uh, your reference there to equity and and inclusion and diversity, I'm assuming this is a reference to their criticisms. Uh, and I think what uh, Lee Jones is um, Parks and Rec director W. Lee Jones, the mayor of Lyles. Uh, these were folks uh, who said that uh, I think Mecklenburg County put out a statement saying they have zero tolerance for programs that don't embrace equity and diversity. Um, I don't even know how equity is supposed to be embraced in this kind of a presentation. I'm, I don't know. But uh, the diversity seems like it would include then, like all of the people whose stories were involved. And I understand I understand the uh, 
the worry, the concern, the wariness that people may have about promoting the sort of lost cause view of this of the Civil War, right? But um, again, I think it, none of this makes sense once they realize who you are. And I know, uh, like, I'm reducing it down to race, and that's terrible. But like, I think that that's the reason why people reacted the way they did, and they they saw it as a lost cause portrayal, and they see it as a glorification because they assume, well, if you're going to include. Uh, Confederate soldiers coming back after the war, obviously the, only a white person would think to do that, right? Because I, I, I think that's that's the motivating factor here. But it, it, what they're arguing for is an elimination of that story. They don't want that to be part of the story when I thought it is, especially if it's going to fuel the animus that then takes place during Reconstruction all the way into Jim Crow. Yes, and... Uh... I use several books for research. A lot of them were from the, the National Park Service. And, I mean, it's just um, a list of books that I used. And one book that I read in particular for this event, it's called The Women's Fight by Thefolia. I may be mispronouncing her name, but Thefolia Glimp. And it's called The Civil War's Battle for home, freedom, and nation. And she covers everything from the perspective of women, black and white, soldiers, um, everything. Everyone is included in this, the book that she wrote, having to do with basically the American Civil War. Mm. And I basically um, gleaned a lot of that information uh, from her book to use for my event. And uh, back to the issue uh, with Vi Lyle, uh, for the most part, she says, and I went and did some research on her, that she uh, that job creation is an important economic growth indicator. Well, Miss Lyles, you just put several people out of a job, including myself, my farm manager, my assistant farm manager, the uh, young lady who we had as the visitor services director, and two interpreters. Uh, that have basically are without a job now. Yeah. And the thing for me with Miss Lyles is that she came out with a statement basically saying we should not support any business or organization that does not respect equality, history, and the truth of the African-American people's journey to freedom. This whole event, Kingdom Coming, was about African-Americans people's journey to freedom and she tells me words matter and that i should know better and she came out and she spoke on the subject well i sent her an email asking her was she speaking as the mayor of charlotte or as a private citizen and several people sent me emails asking who they could write to about what happened to our historic site. Mm -hmm. So I shared their information with Mayor Lyles, Lee Jones, as well as Kevin Metcalf. And apparently, I don't, I don't think she liked it because she then sent out uh, an email to basically everyone, for the most part, saying that the um, she preached appreciates hearing everyone's perspective, 
But then she says, I suggest you correspond with those who are able to enact any change you want to see since the city government has no relationship or authority with the plantation. (laughs) However, she opens her mouth and she speaks without even knowing what she's talking about. And according to the um, uh, uh, another article that was written, when she said, I should know better, so she she tweeted about this, yeah. but then she didn't specifically delve into the event and its deleted advertisement. Yeah. So she comes out, she makes an uninformed statement, and then backtrack and says that the city government has nothing to do with the plantation. Right, so the media creates the, quote, story, they find this post, this guy Ryan Pitkin, and he, he you know amplifies it, puts it on blast. That then prompts activists to and citizens in general, but usually it's a core group of uh, activists, and they then push the story into the laps of the politicians, demanding that you know somebody do something. Uh, the politicians then overreact, usually based on whatever it is that the activists and that media person are telling them. They then respond. And I would submit overreact. Uh, But what's really amazing about this whole story is like literally the event had not occurred. Literally everybody commenting on it was doing so out of ignorance. Nobody knew what was going to be presented, yet everybody felt fully confident about what was going to be presented based on this description. And I think we spoke before and I think we we agree on this, that the term massa that's really what tripped everyone's trigger they didn't like seeing that word exactly that's exactly what happened and then they basically um saw that and they saw the word confederate as well and as you said these political activists uh from my perspective they come out of the woodworks when something goes on and in particular cass otley who uh, was standing behind uh minister corrine mack at the so-called press conference that she had, uh, for the most part, um, she did the same thing as well. It's like they come out of the woodworks and they wait for an opportunity uh, about something because the media whips it up and then they pounce. Yeah, they pounce, and 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 that's exactly what happened. So I've got some, uh, actually have some sound bites here from Cass Otley. She's the founder and CEO of Seeking Justice Charlotte. And then uh, Corinne Mack is the uh, president of the Charlotte Mecklenburg branch of the NAACP. So I'll play a couple of sound bites and let you respond to that. My guest is Ian Campbell. He is the site manager for Historic Latta Plantation, at least for a few more weeks, I guess, right? <laughs> um, and yeah. yeah. And uh, all right. So. Cass Otley, you've named her a couple times. Let's play. Uh, this is uh, from that news conference, uh, and I'll just have you kind of respond to her uh, criticisms here. We will not tolerate, one, our history being rewritten, um, the master and his side of the story being glorified. And as my sister said, if this was a Holocaust museum and anyone tried to glorify the, the, the side of the Nazis, this would swiftly be shut down. Okay, so what? So glor- there it is again, the glorification of the uh, the master side, and he, she also referenced that word again. So, uh, what's your response to her there? It it was not glorifying 
the side of NASA or the Confederates. Uh, and they will never know because they have effectively shut it down. And Miss Otley has her uh, choir members, as I call them, She's screaming, black this, black that, black this. She was screaming black so much, I nearly had a blackout. <laughs> she ends up and then at her uh, gathering at on June 19th at the gate of our site, a majority of her people were uh, old white women or young white kids, That, from what I could see. And uh, Corrine Mack, from what I was told, she said that she would be there. So I'm expecting, you know, 200, 300 people. I get there, and there's only about maybe 10, <laughs> a little over 10. And that's it. So all of these people are screaming online about how wrong this is, and none of them, they, they don't show up to help her. And then the ironic thing is they're talking about, Miss, well, Miss Mack and Miss Otley are talking about blacks this, black that. But when you look at the people in their crowds, they're not all black. You have white folks in there, too. Well, it was there hot. There are white folks standing behind them. And it's ironic that they're spewing um, all of these things out about white folks this, white folks that. But you have white folks behind you helping you. Well, it was really they're hot. They're helping you. It was hot that morning for the protest. That's probably why a lot of people didn't show up. <laughs> um, well, here, Otley then, Otley says on WBTV, he, she was asked what should happen next. Listen to this. We want black voices and black people at the table to talk about what happened to our people. We also want to make sure that there's some type of oversight so this does not happen again. So black people at the table to create these programs. Also, it sounds like she wants there to be some sort of an overseer. Sorry, she wants there to be Somebody to provide oversight. Well, there were black people at the table. <laughs> and this is a, this is another thing. And being a black man, so I'm pe speaking from my perspective and my experiences. I've heard a lot of black folks, they go to see a movie that deals with uh, black history. They read a book that has to deal with black history. And when they find out that the movie is by or directed by a white director or a white person wrote the book. We should be we should be making movies about our own people. We should be writing books about our own people. Okay. I'm like, go out there, do the research. Write your own book. But that's where it stops. That's where it stops. And it's just the work that goes into writing a book or developing and directing a movie. It's too much work for most, for most black folks to do. But yet they still complain about their story being told by a white man. But here it is. I was going to bring something unique to that plantation in 221 years. And I was shut down by my white sisters and brothers. It wasn't the white man that did it. It was my black sisters and brothers that silenced a black man and uh, several others that were trying to bring this program to our historic site and to create something new. There is a there is a fair amount of irony in uh, the fact that uh, people shut down the plantation after it got its first black site manager. 
and they did so uh, over uh, accusations that the program he had created was not diverse enough for including all the people. <laughs> so, like, of all the, I mean, it's almost. Uh, it's almost comical. It's almost Orwellian. It's it's it is sad, and I don't mean to make light of what you're going through, obviously. Um, but oh, you're just but being facetious. yeah, I, I mean, I just I can't imagine somebody <laughs> scripting something more ridiculous. It it was again. I was trying to bring something new to our historic site, and in the past, what we were also doing is myself and the visitor services manager. We started ordering more postcards with black faces on them. There was, uh, for the most part, we Booker T. Washington, um, several uh, black Civil War soldiers, their postcards um, of them that we were going to start displaying in our gift shop as well. Uh, gift shop as well. I also started looking into uh, a lot of the books that the National Park Services sell, and it talks about the Asians, the Latinos, the Native Americans uh, that fought in the American Civil War. And a lot of people don't know that. Mm -mm. They don't know that. So uh, we were going to bring those books and other publications and start selling those in our gift shop. Um, But unfortunately, it didn't happen. And when I took the position as site manager, I told everyone that this plantation is now under federal reconstruction. <laughs> it's going to be completely reconstructed to tell the story and focus more on basically slavery as well as free people of color. So to look at the time period, because and I've been to living history museums. I think I've been to Latta, but it would have been, I don't know, 20 years ago at this point. But it, usually it's the Revolutionary War, Right. That's sort of the focal point or if the if the farm was around back then or it's the Civil War. But usually it's like leading up to the Civil War or during the Civil War. Right. You see the reenactments and that sort of thing. But then usually they kind of stop from there. The the living history kind of ends whenever, you know, the emancipation occurs, because at that point, then it's like, okay, well, everyone's free. And then like history ends. (laughs) But it hasn't. ended. Yeah. And and, and the interesting point is that um, for a lot of. For people that don't know and that have never been out there or gone out there yet, uh, Lee Jones, Cass Otley, Corrine Mack, Mayor Lyles, it focuses on the Laddas who were there from the early 1800s to around 1836. And then the next family we focus on are the samples that were there from around the 1850s up until the um, early 1900s. So uh, with the Sample family, they were there during the antebellum period. Uh, And for those of you folks that don't know what that word means, you may want to look it up. (laughs) So they were there from the antebellum period. They were there during the War of Northern Aggression, (laughs) as my dyed-in-the-wool Southerners like to call it. And the family was there basically after the war ended. And the interesting thing is that the samples had an enslaved man named Henry. And we still have the ledger from the sample family. Now, it mainly talks about the weather, crops, and things like that. It also uh, uh, showed people that owed the family money. 
In that ledger is Henry. He was an enslaved man for the Sample family. And in 1865, of course, when the war ends, the terminology regarding Henry changes. Hmm. And with a lot of court documents that I've seen, uh, in particular at the State Museum in Columbia, South Carolina, prior to freedom, they are referred to as slaves, slaves, slaves. After freedom, you start seeing the words freedmen or colored. Hmm. So with Henry Sample, after 1865, you start seeing freedmen. And the interesting thing also is that he remained on that plantation up until 1867. He also paid off all of his debts Hmm. to the Sample family as well. Where he went after 1867, we don't know. Mm. Another interesting fact is that these former freedmen, many of them took the last names of their plantation owners. Right. Thus, the name Henry Sample. And in a lot of these small southern towns, I was born and raised in Louisiana. In a lot of these southern towns, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama, you will notice that the black and the white families have the same last name. It's well, to carry over from Reconstruction. That's true. And uh, more with Ian in a minute. But speaking of the names, Rowena Patton, her name is synonymous with real estate. In Asheville, her all-star powerhouse team and Rowena Patton, they get homes sold quickly and for more money. This is what they do. So if you're thinking about buying a house or thinking about selling your house, call the only agent I called when Christy and I went to buy our house and we're actually closing on it in a couple of days. Uh, The number is 828-333-4483. That's 828-333-4483. Website is mountainhomehunt.com. Give her a call and then start packing. Now, to Ian Campbell's point about the names, Asheville, the city of Asheville itself, is named for the former governor, Ash, who had slaves, and one of his slaves uh, had kids, and they eventually, uh, that led to the descendant of Arthur Ash, the tennis player. Like, that's yes. that's where his name came from, and uh, that's what the city is named after. So, yeah, I mean, this the history is connected, and... You know, you're, people who are demanding that only one part of it be told, you, you get so much less of the story. And they're doing exactly what they accuse their opponents of having done, of, you know, whitewashing history. That's exactly what now they're espousing be done. If the, if, like, the history is all of the stories. I want to hear all of the stories. I think, I, I wish we had known more about Henry Sample. I would have liked to have known, like, what did he, what did he do with his life? Um, what did he do with his freedom? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that would be a... I think, a compelling story. I'm also intrigued by the stories where people who get freed and then they remain. They stay on these farms and they continue working. Like, what kind of... uh, Because you know that that interpersonal power balance has now shifted right in a in a very obvious way where and even in yes. like during the war as well when you know the men would leave and then you're essentially leaving all of the women at home with people that could very easily probably overtake the people and yes. run away or whatever there's a whole i mean the, the again the psychology of this of that time period is uh, it's abusive, but it's uh, um, it's remarkable. And I would like to say, you know, I like stories about that, about how these people are interacting with each other, knowing that, like, okay, you can pretend to have the power, but I actually have the power. And we both know this, but we don't say it. <laughs> exactly. 
And that's what happened. That's what, what was the case on many plantations. It was the black folks, yeah. those enslaved people who actually had the power, because without them, those plantations would not exist. Right. And as you stated, you wanted to hear the whole story. Again, I recommend people read The Women's Fight by Thefolia Glimp, and it will put everything into perspective. Um, and in regards to the uh, after the Civil War, and that's another thing that I was trying to gear the site more towards is sharecropping. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that occurred, and that's why a lot of these uh, freedmen, one, they stayed on these plantations because many of them didn't, especially the ones that weren't skilled, they didn't have a skill. Right. So they remained there. And a lot, the federal government actually recommended that they stay there because with the racist white folks throughout the South as well as up North, you get some 4 million people that are free, they're going to be looking for jobs. <laughs> yeah. They're going to be looking for jobs. Uh, so they didn't want that to occur as well. Um, but with the, uh, the sharecropping system, many of them remain. And there are great books. And I tell people, they ask, so what was slavery like well, or after people were free? Well, it comes from different perspectives. And the government in the 1930s, the uh, WPA, they sent out these young uh, journalists or reporters that were in college. They sent them out throughout the South to get firsthand accounts of these freedmen and what their lives were like on these plantations. Hmm. One of the uh, ones that I read was called Bullwhip Days, and it gives, I mean, uh, a complete range of the way that these people felt about their owners. Hmm. Good, bad, indifferent, it's from different perspectives. And it's also the unique thing about it is that slavery varied from region to region, and it also varied from owner to owner. And for me, being from Louisiana, it had more of a French influence. Uh, Of course, with the Code Noir over there, slaves had a lot of rights in regards to uh, being owned uh, by their plantation owners. Mm -hmm. And, of course, with North Carolina, you have more of a British influence. And, of course, you know, with them, it's always keep a stiff upper lip no matter what. <laughs> yeah. So they were more rigid yeah. with their slaves uh, in this. And, of course, it's going to carry over after the American Revolution. Thomas Jefferson, the Founding Fathers, they're going to basically keep that system of how the British governed um, them when they were citizens. Yeah. So, again, it's going to vary from region to region and owner to owner. And that's the, the story I was also going to try to tell as well. So uh, we really don't know a lot about what happened at Historic Ladder Plantation. But myself, having worked at Historic Brattonsville in South Carolina, from working at Destrehan Plantation in Orleans, and also George Ranch out in uh, Texas, I have the experience. I've been there. And that's what I was trying to do, give people a broad range of what lives, what for those, for these people that were enslaved, what their lives were like. 
Ian Campbell, the site manager for Historic Lada Plantation. I appreciate you uh, spending some time with me and telling your side of the story, giving us some more background on all of this. And I wish you sincerely the best of luck in uh, in what you find to do next. Oh, thank you very much, Pete. I'd also like to thank Old Grouch's Military Surplus, one of the uh, original sponsors of the show, Old Grouch, in uh, downtown Clyde on Main Street. Real U.S. military surplus from MREs and duffel bags and backpacks to camp stoves, rain ponchos, camo netting, ammo cans, gun accessories, body armor when he has it, stuff. For some reason, it's getting hard to find this stuff. Uh, but Tim is always finding new things uh, out at uh, different shows and uh, in stores and stuff and collectors. So, by the way, if you've got something that you would like to sell, uh, real U.S. military surplus, bring it down to Old Grouches in downtown Clyde. If you're heading to Maggie Valley or Cherokee or Pigeon Forge or Gatlinburg or Asheville, uh, jump off I-40. It's exit 27. You drop by the shop. And uh, check out some of the other stores in downtown Clyde as well. Uh, you can also check them out online 24-7 at oldgrouch.com. That's oldgrouch.com. Now, one of the other things uh, that I, uh, I wanted to highlight here for folks, Ian Campbell, um, and I didn't want to embarrass him here, but he put out this statement. But I said at the time, <laughs> the guy's a legend <laughs> for doing this because in his statement, which was like two pages long when all of this stuff happened, um, he put out this statement explaining his background, explaining how none of these politicians had ever come out to the site. Nobody knew what the program was about. And he said to the masses on social media and politicians, no apology will be given for bringing a unique program to educate the public about former slaves becoming free. And in just today's day and age where everybody folds under the kind of pressure that he's under, he's a legend for standing his ground and uh, not backing down from what uh, from what was right. That's a wrap for the episode. Thanks for listening. Remember, subscribe at thepetecalendarshow.com. Don't break anything while I'm gone. <laughs>